Lord God, I come before you just humbled um, again with the opportunity to um, bring your word. I thank you for the time that I've got to spend with you this week and really diving in and um, learning so much, even myself, about the the scripture that you're uh, going to have me exposit today. And uh, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, ready the soil of the hearts um, for the seeds that need to be planted tonight. Um, I pray that the, the seeds would fall on good soil, Father. Um, I just thank you and, and just am so honored uh, to be able to bring you uh, glory tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, not last week, but the week before, we went through Psalms 15. Uh, so tonight we will be going through Psalm 16. Um, so a little bit of a backstory I wanted to kind of go with uh, talking about the author of Psalm 16. Um, and Psalm 16 is written by David. Um, now David is called a man after God's own heart. Um, why is he called a man's after God's own heart? In Acts 13:2 it says, "And when he had removed him, or when he had removed him, he raised up for, uh, for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, "I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will." Acts 13:22. David is a man after God's own heart. Nowhere in there does it say David is a perfect man. Um, a little story or a little backlog of who David is. David was the son of Jesse. He was the youngest of all his brothers. Um, he was a shepherd. He was a giant slayer. He was a warrior. He was a strategist. People followed him. He won battles, battles upon battles. You know, they would say that Saul would would kill his thousands, and David would kill his tens of thousands, right? He was, he was this mighty man, but he was also um, anointed by Saul in uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel 13, uh, verses 12 and 13. It talks about how Samuel actually anoints David, so he was the anointed one, right? But he was also a liar and a murderer and an adulterer, and he was still called a man after God's own heart. It wasn't because David was perfect because he was called a, a, that he was called a man after God's own heart. It's because David was continually repentant. He continually came to the Lord and was repentant of what he'd done and turned the other direction to serve the Lord. Um, so some of the attributes of David, and I found an awesome notation from uh, Rod Edmondson online, um, but it's the, the characteristics of David that are listed and then the scriptures that he lists them. So David goes through in the Psalms and he talks about his character of who he is and what kind of man he wants to be. And so I'm going to leave that up there just for a little bit. Um, we'll go through and I'll, I'll read quickly the, the words and then the, the correlating scriptures. So humble, Psalm 62.9, reverent, Psalms 18.3, Respectful, Psalms 31.9. Trusting, Psalms 27.1. Loving, Psalms 18.1. Devoted, Psalms 4.7. Recognition, Psalms 9.1. Faithful, Psalms 23.6. Obedient, Psalms 119.34. Repentant, Psalms 25.11. I think out of all the ones, all the, the listing 
that's here of the, the attributes or the characteristics, the, the one that I find the most appealing for me is repentant because I am a fallible man. I mess up a lot. But the thing that we're called to is we're called to repent and we're called to be teachable and we're called, called to ch- be ever-changing. My wife told me one time, she said, that it's not that we're not good enough, but we're always called to be better. So David was a man who always wanted to be better. So this is the man who wrote Psalm 16. Now, Psalm 16 is called a mictum of David. Um, The mictum title is also found uh, in Psalms 56, 57, 58, 59, and 60. Um, Charles Spurgeon um, says, a mictum of David is usually understood to mean the golden psalm, such as the title most appropriate for Psalm 16, for the matter is as the most fine gold. Ainsworth calls it David's jewel or notable song. So with that, I would like everybody to stand and we will read Psalm 16. A mictum of David, preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lions have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Shoel, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God, again, I just come before you just thankful for tonight and just pray that um, as your word comes through, I pray that it would penetrate our hearts. Father, just let your Holy Spirit speak. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I was telling my wife that after probably four or five hours of sitting down and just going through verses one and two, I'm like, man, I could spend the whole time just talking about these two passages. Um, Preserve me, O God, David is saying. And he's saying, preserve me. It must have been a time of trouble. I mean, if you go through the history of David, he always seemed to have somebody after him, right? Saul was coming after him, trying to kill him, like even his own kids were trying to overthrow stuff. He always had somebody he was coming against, and he was just in these, in these trying times. And so he's saying, Lord, he's saying, preserve me, O God. You know, save me. I think of, there's two ways that you can think of preserve me, right? You can say, preserve me, keep me from something, Right? keep me from this happening, you preserve, or preserve me, you know, hold me fast while I'm in the midst of going through what I'm going through. We've all gone through trials, right? We're, we're promised that we're going to go through hard things. So when we cry out and we say, God, preserve us, hold tight to us, hold us tight while we're going through this. 
I believe that that was, was David's heart. And Charles Spurgeon, um, he said, preserve me from the world. Let me not be carried away with it. Uh, with it. Excitement suffer me not to be before its blandishments north of fear, its frowns. Preserve me from the devil. Let him not tempt me above what I am able to bear. Preserve me from myself. Keep me from growing envious, high-minded, proud, slothful. Preserve me from those evils into which I see others run and preserve me from those evils into which I myself am most apt to run. Keep me from the evils known and from evils unknown. So it's, that's the preserve. Preserve me from all things. Preserve me, O oh God. Trust. For in you I put my trust. David is saying, preserve me, O oh God. For in you I put my trust. I trust you to preserve me. One of my favorite scriptures of all times is Romans 10, 11. And going through it, I've, for the longest time, I read a specific translation. Romans 10, 11 is... All who trust in the Lord will not be put to shame, is what I constantly say. Well, Romans 10, 11 in the New King James Version says, For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. The NLT is the one that says, as scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Romans 10, 11. Trust. When we trust in the Lord, we will not be put to shame. We can trust that when we cry out like David did and ask the Lord to preserve us, to save us, that he is faithful and true and that he will do that. The next part of, uh, of two, O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. Um, doing this study, I, I didn't really know that there was a difference in just reading it. And we've all probably read through different psalms and seen this many of times and just kind of glanced over it. But there's a difference between Lord that's in all capitals and Lord that's not in all capitals. Um, so the Lord that's in all capitals actually refers to God's name, right? In ancient Hebrew, it was Yahweh is what we refer to. Doing a, a bit deeper dive into it, the Hebrews actually wouldn't even utter God's name out of fear um, that they would get it wrong. And so it was actually uh, Y, I have this written down. Yeah, it was Y-H-W-H, and the vowels weren't added until later, but Yahweh is the closest translation that we can get to it. And so that first Lord in all capitals is Yahweh. So, oh my soul, you have said to the Lord, right? Lord, Yahweh, God, so, O oh my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord, Lord in lowercase, right? Just the first letter is capital. This one is actually in reference to Adonai. Adonai is also in reference to master. Um, you go back and you look in the, the Lord term is also used like David talking about Saul. He was his master, right? When Sarah talks about Abraham, he, she uses the lowercase Lord as Adonai of master. So it's master instead of God. So just the difference between the two, which I found very interesting. Um, just reading through scripture over and over and over and never really knowing the differences of just the way things are capitalized and the meaning behind it. So the last part of it, my goodness, nothing apart from you. 
is nothing apart from you. So the things that we have are good. David is saying, my goodness is nothing without God. And I give this the reference to, it's like owning a Lamborghini, right? A really fast car, and then you don't have the keys for it. So it just sits there, right? We have the goodness that God has given us, but without God in our life, that goodness is all for naught. And David knows this. He's saying, preserve me, O God, save me. I put my trust in you. O my soul, have you, uh, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. So David knows that God is also his master and all his good is worth nothing if God is not there with him. Move on to thir- uh, three and four. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones. In whom is all my delight? Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. So David is saying that he delights in the people who love God, in the saints, and the people who don't delight in God, right, who are chasing after other gods. He's saying their, their sorrows are going to be multiplied because they're hastening after another God. And he doesn't even want to even speak their name. He doesn't want to take any part in what they're taking part in. He trusts in the Lord that we found in the, the scriptures before. He doesn't want to have anything to do with these false gods. I was reading an excerpt, and it was talking about how they would make gods. And these gods that can't see, can't speak, can't act, can't hear. And they were building them with their own hands, and then they were worshiping them like they were these massive deities. And it's just foolishness. It's just stupidity. And David saw that, and he's like, I'm not even going to speak their names. Um, John Piper, I was watching a, a sermon, uh, and he was talking about you know, Psalm 16. And he was giving reference and asking people. Um, he said, ask yourself if you are, he was referring to people who don't like to hang out with Christians, right? If you're, he was like, if you're sitting in the audience and you don't enjoy hanging out with Christians, ask yourself a couple questions. First, he's like, ask yourself if you really know any true Christians. He's like stepping on toes. He's like, I'm not talking about churchgoers. I'm talking about true Bible-believing, God-fearing, loving Jesus and loving people Christians. Do you know anyone like this? That's the first question that you need to ask yourself. Because if you don't, you need to jump to a new circle of friends and find some. The second question that you need to ask yourself, if I don't delight in hanging out with the people who delight in the things that I should delight in and take joy, but rather I enjoy hanging out with people who delight in the things that God hates, I need to ask myself a totally different question. Last week I talked about delight and how the Lord delights in the prayer of the upright and how when we delight in things, we think about those things, we dwell on those things. So if we delight in the things of the Lord, then we would delight, like David said, in the saints and hanging out with other Christians. One of the things that we can get caught up in is, and if you, were, if you weren't here on Sunday, um, BJ brought the word and he talked about Psalm 73. Um, and he uh, referred to the wicked that prosper can be appealing uh, when we can't see the under, well, I was saying that we can't see the underlying calamity that awaits them, right? Um, he made a quote that really stuck out to me and, it said, and he said, 
A Christian who looks at life and asks, what do I get, has not fully understood what Christ saved us from in his sacrifice. And he repeated it, so I'm going to repeat it. A Christian who looks at life and asks, what do I get, has not fully understood what Christ saved us from in his sacrifice. But a godly man or woman question is, what can I give the Lord in this life? If we delight in the saints like David is talking about, and we don't want to be like the people, right, who hasten after other gods and whose sorrows are multiplied. You know, it's not saying that we're not going to see troubles, but they're not going to be multiplied. And we can trust that God is going to preserve us through them. Amen. We need to be asking the Lord, what can I give? What can I do for you? Put a notation. We are to keep our eyes focused on God and no other. Take the opportunity, even in this moment, think about your life. Think about coming into today. What is your focus on? What is your delight in? As we go through the word, think about those things. Five and six. Oh, Lord, <clears throat> you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lions have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. This was a fun one for me because at, at just face glance, it, it looks like it's talking about, you know, things that we've heard, the portion, you know, like a portion, a piece of something, an inheritance, something that we receive, um, our lot, you know, the thing that's, that's ours, our, our lot of what we own. When you dig into it, there's a difference. There's a difference between a portion and the cup. Uh, Vernon McGee, uh, in his commentary, was saying that the difference between the portion and the cup, a portion is something that belongs to us. Right? We don't have a choice in it. It's something that's ours. It's given to us. It belongs to us. The cup is what we choose to appropriate for ourselves. So the inheritance that God has given us, right? when he sent his son to die on the cross and forgive us of all of our sins, that's our inheritance. Our cup is the choice that we make. We choose to partake of that or to leave it be. That's our choice right? That's our cup. So he's saying, David is saying, you are the portion of my inheritance. You are my inheritance and my cup. So David is choosing to make God not just his portion, but also his cup. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I have a good God. The lines have fallen in pleasant places. I think of this as like as borders, right? And you go into the, the Old Testament and it talks about how God separated territories. The lines have fallen to us. If anybody owns property, or if you know somebody who owns property, there's property lines, right? There's borders, right? The U.S. has borders. We only own so much real estate. Once you cross over that border, either into Mexico or into Canada or or wherever, you know, it's out of the jurisdiction of the U.S. In the same way, God has um, fallen the lines around us, right? I think of this in the way of David realizing that God has claimed him, that God is his inheritance, that he belongs to God, that the lines have fallen to him, like borders on a page, right? There's only so much that a page can hold, and you can't go outside of that page, or on a picture frame, there's only so much that you can fit inside of that picture frame. And so God has drawn his borders around us. He's claimed us. 
the inheritance is good. It's good to belong to the Lord. It's good to be captured by the Lord. Psalms 16:7. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. As we seek the Lord on a, on a daily basis, he gives us counsel. When we wake up in the morning, I try and wake up and I'm like, Lord, I trust you. I read my word. First thing, just trying to get, get my day going off right. Um, he gives us counsel throughout the day. We are to dwell on his word. So that way our heart is full. And David is saying, <clears throat> I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. How do we bless the Lord? By the way that we act, by the way that we talk. We allow the things that we do to bless the Lord through our actions. My heart also instructs me in the night season. And at first, at first glance, you can take that as just night. But I think even in the dark, in the darkness of the day that we live in, I mean, if you look around, the world is dark right now. And the things that the world allows and accepts, our hearts, when they're filled up with the Lord's word, gives us direction of which way we should go left, to the left or to the right. Psalms 1, 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day on and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruits in its seasons, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So we're to meditate on God's word. Psalm 16, 8 through 11. When I got to this portion, it's like the, the meat of it. it. It was very, it was almost intimidating. I had to I had to pause. I was working on it at night, and uh, I got to the point where I, my wife could see that I just was at the point of like, I, I don't want to not give God's word justice, and I don't uh, want to bring anything across that's not of him and that's not honoring to him. And so I was just kind of racking my brain for a moment, and, I, and she, she encouraged me. She's like, just stop, put it away for tonight come back to it. So I, I listened and I put it away. And uh, the next morning I went and did my workout and you know, had spent my time with the Lord and I was coming back and the Lord was just encouraging me on the way back home. And um, then I, I sat down and I felt you know, encouraged and inspired and I started digging in. Um, this is in reference to 8 through 11. And the thing that I was like tearing back and forth is because Peter actually brings it up in Acts chapter 2. I think it's, um, oh, I forgot to set it down. Uh, it's 23 through 25 or 25 and 26, but um, Peter is actually giving reference to David as a prophet and how he's prophesying of um, Christ, the death and resurrection. Um, so I didn't know if that was, the, that was the thing that I was supposed to grab onto and I was supposed to go down the trail of going into Acts 2 and like, Lord, do I go this route? And and I, I didn't feel like that was fully the route that I needed to go down. And then it was coming from a, a standpoint of, of David and what he was speaking. And it's that realization that this whole passage, all of Psalm 16, we can look at through three different scopes. We can look at it through the eyes of David, right, which we described in the very beginning that he was not a perfect man. He was a man with flaws, but he was a man after God's own heart. God even called him a man after God's own heart. 
because he was a repentant man. So we can look at it through the eyes of David. We can look at it through the eyes of Christ, right? That David is prophetically speaking in the, in the last times of Christ when he's going to be going to the cross and he's speaking out and crying out from verse one all the way through, Lord, Lord preserve me in these times so we can, we can look at the scripture in that way. And the third way is we can look at it from our point of view. And the, the thing that really got me, you know, is that we get to experience Psalm 16 from being a part of it. And the whole reason why we get to is because of 8 through 11. Because Christ died for us, and he beat death, and he rose again, and he's in glory. And because of that free gift that God gave us, we get to grab hold of that and make that our cup. That's our inheritance, that we get to be a part of this, not because of anything that we've done or ever will do, but because of God's grace, that amazing grace that we sung about tonight, because of God's grace that has been poured out over us, we get to partake of this passage. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Shoel, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So David speaking prophetically the words of Jesus, that Jesus fulfilled through the death and resurrection that we take part in when we choose to repent and follow Christ. Grab that because that has to take place. If you don't choose to repent and follow Christ, you can't take part in this. Verse number eight, set the Lord always before me. When we choose to make God our cup and we delight in his ways, that's where it's at. At my right hand, I wanted to find out there's so many scriptures and I think there's like 58 different verses that lay out um, that, that talk about the right hand. And I was wondering, what is it about the right hand that it keeps bringing up? You know, why don't we hear more about the left hand? And the difference between the right hand and the left hand that I've found is the right hand is compassion and mercy, the right hand. The left hand is, is justice, right? How many of you praise God that we see more of his right hand than we see of his left in our lives? I am. Psalm 73, 23, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. Some of the 58 verses there, Psalm 16, 8, Psalm 16, 11, Psalms 89, 13, Psalm 63, 8, 139, 10, 48, 10, 73, 23, 60, verse 5, 108, verse 6, Isaiah 41, 13, 41, 10, Lamentations 2, 3, and more. I'm not going to list all 58. I'll let you guys find that on your own. But 58 verses about the right hand of God. I am thankful for the right hand of God over my life. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. Let's break that down. All of him, every part of him was fully content in God. His heart is glad. What does God say that he looks at the most? The heart. So his heart, in this moment, his heart is glad. 
His glory rejoices. My glory rejoices. I wanted to research and find out, like, as Christians, what do we call, what is our glory? Our glory would be God's glory. As image bearers of God, we are made in God's image. So the only glory that I have is a reflection of him. So my glory rejoices. My God rejoices in this moment. My flesh also will rest in hope. Every day I pray and ask the Lord to let my flesh rest because every day it's biting at my heels, wanting to be fed, right? I know that the more that I starve my flesh, the less likely it's to reach, you know, bound to reach up and snag hold and cause me to trip up. But in this moment, in that moment of glory, our heart is going to be glad, our glory rejoices, and even our flesh will rest. Passage 10, for you will not leave my soul in Shoel, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and of good, cheer, uh, of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. We can be confident in the trials of this life. Either through the trials of life or the looming nature of death, we know that God is with us. And if God is for us, then nothing can stand against us. I love the, the last part of Deuteronomy 31.6. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Just the confidence that we have in that. The confidence that David has when he talks about, you will not leave my soul in Shoel, or Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. I was talking with my wife and we were talking about that moment, right? When God turns because he can't look upon the sin that's laid upon Christ. And just that heartbreaking moment. But to know with confidence that even in that heartbreaking moment, that God would not leave him there. The confidence in the Lord. Verse number 11. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. As Jesus defeats the grave and steps into the presence of God, there is fullness of joy or peace. There he is at the right hand of the Father forevermore. Because of his sacrifice, because of his willingness, we get to partake in that. We get to be a part of that amazing gift that God laid out. In John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gift that we're given, that's laid out. It's up to us to fully take part in that. It's up to us to make that choice. Lord God, I thank you for um, tonight. I pray, Lord God, that your words would resonate Again, like I said, that it would be nothing of this fallible man that stands before them, but that it would be only by your Holy Spirit um, that the seeds would fall on, on fertile soil, Lord God. We thank you so much for the opportunity that we get on a daily basis, Father, to have precious time and commune with you because of the, the free gift that you've given us, the sacrifice that you made so that we could partake of being at the right hand and being in glory forever. I thank you for all that you are and how you continue to use us in Jesus' name. Amen.